I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 130. Here's a Boo Crew Fright Fact. Since we just celebrated the 40th anniversary of one of my favorite movies, The Shining, I thought I would bring a Fright Fact from The Shining to the table. The color red is in pretty much every shot of The Shining, which I thought was really cool. And according to Shelley Duvall, the Here's Johnny scene took three days to film and used 60 doors. The Boo Crew is pleased to announce the debut of our official Patreon. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> you can now join the Boo Crew Creature Corps at patreon.com slash the Boo Crew. If you enjoy the show, this is a really unique way to become an interactive and special part of the Boo Crew family. This will truly let you behind the scenes with access to an exclusive Instagram portal for tours of the Speakeasy Studio, including Q&As, highlights from our prop collection, and other fun randomness. You will also get exclusive access to bonus episodes Episodes every month featuring new versions of our classic segments like the original Horror Homework, Wheel of the Damned, and more. Plus, patron-only posts including video content and photos only for Creature Core members. You'll get a membership kit with a Boo Crew pen, sticker, and button. And we are also pleased to announce the opening of the Boo Crew online store. Yes, we now have Boo Crew shirts to purchase at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com slash shop including pre-orders for a sweet long sleeve shirt emblazoned with the official logo of the Creature Core and spooky print of both arms. It's super soft and super spooky. All Boo Crew Creature Core members get a discount code for 10% off. Sign up and join our cult at patreon.com slash theboocrew. You are about to join a conversation with the charming and talented Daniel Radcliffe. He's got a new interactive TV project out now called Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Kimmy versus the Reverend, streaming on Netflix. We talk all about that as well as his incredible work in genre, fantasy, and horror films. Find out what he kept from the Harry Potter movies and what antifreeze tastes like, <laughs> his favorite horror movie, and more. Put on the sorting hat and start a new semester at the Boo Crew School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Hi, this is Daniel Radcliffe, and my Patronus is the Boo Crew. Ah, oh, you got me to say it. The Boo Crew dusts a fright flick off the shelf for ah! horror homework. We're going to go around the room and around the world wide web all the way out to Leo in beautiful downtown. Eagle <laughs> <laughs> And we're each going to highlight a horror flick to each other and possibly even to you that we consider a must-see or perhaps worth a revisit. Starting this time with Lauren. Me? Why not? Yeah, yeah. I fucking thought it was Leo. Well, it usually is, but today... <laughs> Shit! Thought we'd throw a curveball. <laughs> Great, thanks. All right. My pick, maybe not horror in the core, right? But... I love this movie so much and it has people dying. It has murder. There's blood. There is blood. And it's a fucking mystery. And I want to talk about 2019's Knives Out. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's got a spooky ass house, right? That's right. Spooky ass house equals awesome. I could just stare at that house all day. I know. Me too. And that dude's sweater. Yes. Everybody loves that sweater. Chris Evans, white sweater. I like the blue sweater too. People like the blue sweater. There's debates going on Twitter about which sweater is better. Yeah. If you look up (laughs) Knives Out sweater on Twitter, it's like every five seconds someone's fucking talking about the sweaters in this movie and... Everybody has amazing sweaters. It's but wait, they even have a, isn't there a Twitter, an official Twitter? Well, not an official Twitter, but someone started a yeah. Twitter page for the, the white cable knit sweater. Yes, <laughs> which is crazy. I think like Chris Evans made one for his dog or had one made. <laughs> yeah. It's it's crazy. People are making cookies that yeah, look like this. Cable knit sweater cookies. <laughs> and people play like games and make their avatars have that sweater. That's funny. It's like the sweater is almost as popular as the movie. Well, even Lauren here started making knives out s'mores. Yes, I did. Because <laughs> they're so good. And you know what? The little marshmallows they use on top resemble Chris Evans' white cable knit sweater. Don't uh, they when you think about it? I, I guess. It's little yeah. mini marshmallows on top of what? It's chocolate and then the crust. Okay, so it was called for graham crackers. Right. But in the movie, he eats these. They're like biscuits. They're called. Why am I blinking? Biscoff. Biscoffs. Is that what it is? I think it's called Biscoff. I think so. Let's look that up real quick. This is uh, Biscoff. Biscoff cookies. Yeah. That's them, Biscoff cookies. Okay. Lotus Biscoff oh. cookies. Yes. So he's, he's eating them constantly. Yes, he's eating these all the time. By the way, uh, created in 1932, Biscoff. Wow. Cookie, yes. It's you know what? I hadn't had one until I watched the movie and then I saw at Costco when I was making my order that they had those. And I got a huge box and they're so <laughs> they're fucking insane. good. But they're very <laughs> similar to what you'd taste with a graham cracker cookie. Exactly. But it's, a little bit better. Oh, wow. It's like more rich. It's like an upgraded graham cracker. Yeah. It's like a fancy graham cracker. Right? Like they that family, the Thrombies, would eat. They would eat. Knives Out. Oh, They'd eat the fancy they graham cracker. Anyways, that is the base of my s'more. Because, well, because you tried it and I remember you're yeah. like, wow, this is... It's better than the graham cracker, but it's kind of like a graham cracker. And then I was like, shit, what can I make with this? Because now I bought a Costco box and so there's fucking like a million. (laughs) So I'm like, what am I going to do? So I made these amazing s'mores and like the crust is the cookie with butter and powdered sugar. And then you put chocolate Hershey's bars on top and then you put a bunch of mini marshmallows that take so fucking long yeah, to do line each one them by hand. Up. Yeah. And oh, then geez. you put them in the broiler and they're so fucking Well, good. they come out and they're hot, right? And then they yeah. have that sticky hot s'mores thing. But you know what? You stick them in the fridge and the next day you cut those fuckers up and it tastes, I mean, I like them cold. I like them cold because it I tastes like a, the chocolate in the middle has then turned back into like a Hershey bar. Yep. So you're oh, biting into them. They got a snap to it. But the, the, the marshmallows are gooey on the top and then the Biscoff cookie at the bottom. It is unlike anything you've ever had. Can be called uh-huh. Knives Out S'mores or Chris Evans plays the character of Ransom. That's right. So we can call them Ransomores. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> oh, Leo, I will have to make you some. I made Natalie yes. some. She really liked yeah, it. Yeah, you've been in curbside delivery. I have. I've nice. been doing nice. curbside for my friends. Anyways, the movie stars <laughs> Daniel Craig, uh, Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don, uh, my co-star Don Johnson. <laughs> what? <laughs> he what? Was, he was in a fight for Jenny. No, he wasn't. I swear he was. No, that was the other guy. <laughs> it's the other guy. Not, not Crockett. It was Tubbs. Remember Tubbs? Wow. My co-star. Wow. Philip Michael Thomas was your co-star. Not John, Don Johnson. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways. She digresses. Starring. <laughs> All right. Shit. Um, it's the quarantine, you guys. It seriously has me like all messed up. Um, <laughs> stop laughing at me. Um, who else? Tony Collette, who I fucking love, and Hereditary. She can do no wrong. Uh, Christopher Plummer. It's just got the it's got everybody in yeah, it. Yeah, the kid from it, Jaden Martell. Um, it's just got everybody, and. Nice. It's got really good characters and they're all like so different and they all have their quirks and they're really funny. Um, and you got to solve this mystery. And I thought it was going in one direction and then it went in a different direction. And it's just really something fun to watch. You're always interested in what's going on and what's happening to these characters. And they have really good props. Some awesome Awesome props. And like, yeah, the inside of the house is insane. Like yeah. Harlan Thrombey has that cool office where a lot of action goes down in. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's I can just hit pause and just look or look at that office for an hour. Yeah. What else was that the house used for? It was used in other movies, right? It was used in something we recently watched. Right? And we're like, oh shit. What the hell was that? Oh, now it's going to drive me crazy. It wasn't the Samara Weaving movie, was it? The uh, It was uh, not. No, Brody. No, it wasn't Ready or Not. But Ready or Not is like a close cousin to, I would say, Knives Out. Yeah, I would agree. It kind of feels that way. Yeah, there's like a with that an like aesthetic. Upper, yeah, and that upper class family and the the commentary on that. And then there's this part in the movie where Chris Evans tells a bunch of people to eat shit, and it used to be it originally was fuck you. Oh wow. But they oh. wanted to have a PG-13 rating, and there is a death scene. Obviously, it's a murder mystery when that person dies. There was too much blood, so they had to digitally erase some of the blood. Huh. This is also why our <laughs> eight-year-old runs around the house saying, eat shit all the time. Yep. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. We're like, oh, it's PG-13. This is a great movie we can all watch. It's a as- family. A family. Solve the mystery no. together. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, he's talking about eating shit. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Oh, man. Just go see it or download it or you're going to love it. And if you don't, I'm sorry. I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> horror adjacent, for sure. For sure. Yes. Plenty, plenty to quench the thirst of any horror genre fan. Then watch Ready or Not. I would like to recommend a film from 2008 
that was shared to us again by Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel. <laughs> kind of going through this master list they provided us with. I know, the right? <laughs> they, they have amazing job. taste in movies. I got to say, yeah, they obviously do. They, they do. Yeah. And this was something that Laura and I watched it the other night. It's an Australian film from 2008, written and directed by Joel Anderson, his only feature length film starring Talia Zucker and Martin Sharp, Rosie Trainer, and David Pledger. It is called Lake Mungo. Oh, yes, I've heard of that. It is so great. It's about a 16-year-old girl who drowns while swimming with her family and then the eerie things that happen after that incident. It's shot in a documentary style with interview footage of the family members and found camera footage. And they actually spent a lot of time getting this found camera footage down. They used over 40 different cameras 35 millimeter uh, footage, Super 16, HD, digital beta cam, Hi8, Super 8, VHS, and mobile phones. And they'd even do things like redub the home uh, home movie footage that you see onto VHS about six times. And then on the seventh time, they would take it to another tape machine and dub it to that. While it was dubbing, they'd yank on the tape and mess that up. Sometimes they unspool the tape, re-spool it back on the tape and film that again. And oh, it creates some really cool visual effects that play out during this film. And there's all sorts of really cool visual mysteries for the viewer to solve that they don't really explain until later on in the film. So you're always kind of watching, looking off frame, seeing all the different clues and different things you can spot. It is a fascinating and very fun an incredibly unsettling watch. It's a masterpiece of a ghost story. It's going to stay with you. I think last time on the show, we talked about something in horror homework that I said, would, yeah, uh, a dark song. Yes. That film would also yes, sound big yes. into these movies that'll just stay with you, like Hereditary and things like it. It follows right. all those movies that when you go home and the lights are off, you start thinking about these films. It's not cheesy in any way at all. The scares cut so deep and visceral, visceral that you do take them with you. Now, a deal existed with Paramount Vantage to do a U.S. remake of the film, and it was going to be produced by Roy Lee, who did The Ring and The Grudge. The last time I'd heard about that was 2009. It was to be written by David Leslie Johnson, who wrote The Orphan. Google, like, I've been looking it up to see what the state of that is, and nothing has been said about it since 2010. So I'm wondering well. if that's going to happen. Yeah, huh. That's about it. Yeah. So Lake Mungo. Definitely see it. It's on oh, yeah. Tubi. Is that how you say it? T-U-B-I? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Tubi. It's on Tubi with ads, but free right now. And also YouTube, Amazon Prime, all the usual suspects. And the ads weren't that bad. Like, no. It wasn't, there were like maybe one? One or two little yeah. ad, ad blocks. You know, they would show up a couple times in the movie, but that's about it. And they're really short. I felt like you needed those because I was so fucking scared. I was yeah. like, oh, yay, a car commercial. <laughs> yeah, you need something to break it up. <laughs> but it also made it feel real. Like it made it feel like you're watching like a true crime documentary or something. Yeah, definitely. Leo, Interesting. Wow. what you got, man? My pick comes from 1986. We're going back to the 80s here. A little movie uh, starring Rutger Hauer. Sadly, R.I.P. passed away last year. But Rutger Hauer, C. Thomas Howell, who we know from Red Dawn, yeah. uh, Outsiders, and E.T. Classic. And also, yeah, definitely. And also Jennifer Jason Lee, who we know from Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Backdraft. So anyways, this movie's 1986, The Hitcher. Yeah! Directed, directed by Robert Harmon. This movie, man, was... I saw this on, on, on VHS video rental, like right before I started driving as a teenager. This movie scared me straight to never pick up a hitchhiker. <laughs> you could. 
it was like seriously just as effective as watching red asphalt movies have you guys seen those movies no no oh god you can actually watch them on youtube believe it or not so when you're taking driver's training in high school back in the you know the day like you know they make you watch these red asphalt movies which basically was kids who were reckless driving drunk driving that kind of stuff and they get into these horrific accidents and you would see them being pulled out of cars by pieces and bloody and death and all that what and they were called they would just call them red asphalt because the blood on the road obviously i guess exactly yeah 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 and i think they made like six of them the first one came out in the 60s oh my gosh i never went through that in driver's ed that is horrific yeah you gotta watch those they're made by the chp actually and they put them on youtube i think one of them got flagged on youtube and got taken down because it was too gory but the other five i think are on there the way and, people drive in this city, they should seriously reinstigate making those mandatory yeah. watches. <laughs> right? Maybe scare some people straight. My lord, dude, no kidding, man, no kidding. But yeah, that, uh, that movie, I mean, scared me straight. Those two movies to just like, hey, you know, be a good driver and don't pick up a hitcher ever. You know. <laughs> so this movie, you know, is a young guy, see Thomas Howell, who escapes the clutches of a murderous hitchhiker, played by Rutger Hauer, who subsequently stalks. He, he's, he is stalked by the hitcher again and is framed and frames him for all these crimes. So the movie is like a cat and mouse game, very effectively done from the opening scene. It's just creepy as hell. It's just one of those movies where it's like, you just never want to be put in that situation, you know, where you think you picked up a friendly, you know, stranger, but then he turned out to be a mass murderer. You know, at the time, this film had like one of the best gross out scenes that Maybe look at French fries differently. I don't, know if you guys remember, remember <laughs> I don't that remember scene. that. I remember oh. seeing that on like First Choice Super Channel when my parents first got like pay cable when you had the boxes. And I remember the hitcher was right. On. That's when I saw it last. So that was I was a zygote. <laughs> but I don't remember the French fries. <laughs> oh, dude, it's it's, it's gross. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this movie also has a little fun fact here. It had a brutal ending that was changed to avoid an X rating at the time. So when you watch this movie and you see the ending, you're going to be like, oh, I wonder what they took out or changed to keep it rated R instead of rated X. And also, they did remake the film in 2007, starring Sophia Bush, Sean Bean, and Zachary Knighton. And uh, the movie was entertaining, but you could tell that it was the stunts were updated for the times. Because, you know, today we want more explosions, bigger explosions and stuff, right? But back in the 80s, like, the accidents and the gorn and the you know all that stuff felt more real you know so it, i actually want to go back to the beginning and say that i, I prefer to the the original as opposed to the remake but yeah i mean I, I enjoyed the original because of how dark the original was and how sinister rudger howard's character was revealed to be so definitely if you've not seen this it's one of those 80s movies that you should check out i mean you know it's 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 an 80s movie but still it holds up very well because it's like it's one of those, you know, you never know who a person turns out to be, you know? So, The Hitcher, 1986. This is the Boo Crew Podcast. What she wants is unknown, but she always comes back. The specter of darkness. The woman in black. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a multifaceted actor whose exciting and inspired decisions, whether as the characters he portrays or in the roles he chooses, ignite truly compelling storytelling and filmmaking. 
He got his start playing a young David Copperfield in a TV miniseries before bringing to life J.K. Rowling's beloved Harry Potter in a legacy spanning eight films, the most successful and famous franchise of all time, and he elevated the character into a pop culture icon. He has since become an adventurer of the stage and screen, carving out a path cut from inventiveness and imagination. Whether that's playing a corpse with supernatural powers and Swiss Army Man, making us laugh hysterically in TV's Miracle Workers, telling the true story of the breakout of two political prisoners in Escape from Pretoria, or on Broadway in the West End in productions such as Equus, or recently alongside Alan Cumming in Endgame. His work has garnered over 15 awards, including Fangoria Chainsaw, Sitkiss, People's Choice, and was even nominated for a Grammy for how to succeed in business without really trying. His brand has become compelling and immersive storytelling that is both different and that makes a difference. His latest project is exactly that, a completely interactive movie for Netflix and the return of one of its first original comedy hits, the Emmy Award-nominated Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. It's Kimmy versus the Reverend. We are honored to welcome Mr. Daniel Radcliffe. That yeah. was, I mean, that was the, the almost without question, the nicest introduction I have ever been given. Like, thank you so much. Wow, um, Dan. Well, thank I, you so much. It's well deserved. My goodness. Yeah. Thank you very much, mate. That's, yeah. Congratulations, first of all, on this hilarious show. We experienced it and are so excited to delve into the process with you. Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. I mean, I was I was obviously like coming to it as a, as a sort of interloper and somebody who is new to the cast, but it was. I'm so thrilled I got to be a part of something because I I do I do genuinely think it's like it's just a it's I don't I still don't know how they wrote it. Like I'm still it just blows my mind to think about how you write a choose your own adventure right. script like this and and I just think I'm so glad people are people are enjoying it and seeing how how cool it is. We're so excited to talk about that. But first, as we are bloody disgusting, we would love to talk about some of your great work in the horror genre. Yeah. Starting with what is your personal experience as a viewer with horror? Do you recall the first moments you were impacted by it? I mean, honestly, like I, as a viewer, am a very scared viewer of horror movies. Like I'm not somebody like I have friends who, you know, just uh, kind of inhale every, you know, every movie from every sort of horror franchise and, and love it. And I'm I am way too like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm never. Yeah, I get I, I particularly like as a kid, I was like. I was definitely the kid that had a, had a sort of sleepover when everyone was like, let's put a scary movie on. I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. I'm totally cool with this. I'm going to really enjoy this and make myself stay here and just like act like this isn't killing me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think like some of the films I was able to, when I can sort of really enjoy like, I don't know, The, the Shining is an example of just like, obviously it's a, it's an amazing masterpiece of a film and it's also terrifying. I remember sort of, I, that, I saw that when I was like, 14 and that that you know really shut me up and um i also think like movies that like i mean actually uh, i think a fantastic horror movie is a uh, there's a, a movie by the, the director of uh, woman in black which is obviously like a horror movie that i've done that i love but um but his one of his previous films is a movie called eden lake which is a horror movie with absolutely nothing supernatural it's just a uh, just a and it's it's a very visceral situation because it's real and could you can see a world where it could happen and yeah it's uh it's worth i would definitely recommend eden lake to anybody who like likes a terrifying hour and a half the boo crew will be right back it rests on 13 acres of earth over the very center of hell 
the last house on the left. Here is the first motion picture to offer to the daring a look into the final maddening space between life and death. The last house on the left. Caution. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Take as only much as you can. Only a Well, speaking of that, I mean, your first official entrance into horror as an actor would be with James Watkins, The Woman in Black yeah. in 2012. A Hammer film at that. The biggest U.S. Yes. opening for a Hammer film in the history of the company and actually the highest grossing British horror film in 20 years at the time when it came yeah. out. Now, much of the artistic and mood driven scares in this sense of dread in that film is brought upon with moments where you were acting in silence a lot by yourself. What was it like to perform in that space? I mean, it was, it was a really cool sort of experiment. Like I'd never, I, I definitely, that was part of the things, the part of the thing that I really wanted to make me want to do the film was that, uh, reading the script, there was, you know, probably about 50 pages of just stage direction where it's just me walking around a house, uh, you know, and seeing that tension and suspense can be like, just stretch over that period of time to a point where like you are just a nervous wreck watching it is, was, you know, I, I have, there's a, there's a technical aspect to, to all those things and to making horror movies that I definitely feel like, like if I was going to direct a film tomorrow, it would not be a horror film because I don't think I have the like technical expertise and knowledge of the genre to like be able to pull that stuff off. But James Watkins is incredible with it. I mean, they, they, uh, you know, he just lets those silences build and lets shots carry on and doesn't cut away from them. And, and also like there was some stuff that we had, um, uh, I'm, I'm really annoyed with myself. Like I, in the moment, I cannot remember her name, but our production designer on that film was, um, a, a amazing woman. And she was telling me things like in the house, there's things like the corridor, the doors in the corridors, like are never lined up perfectly. So you never get like a straight line of sight through them in any one shot. So that like, it's always implied that there is like a corner that something could be around. Um, there's like all kinds of stuff. Like, like I mean, the, we also lit a lot of that film was lit with just like one light source, which is often just like they hollowed out the back of a candle and uh, put like a strip of LEDs in it and lit the candle so that it, I could look like I was like just holding a candle, but I could also like like my face or parts of the room. There was like there was a, just a lot of really cool filmmaking stuff done on that job. Wow, that's awesome. All that alchemy creates that that entirely magical, immersive illusion. Well, going on about that, like the sets on that were so lush and beautiful, whether it's everything from like the dusty set of drapes to, you know, what you're wearing. How, how do those things help to inform a performance? I mean, I definitely think particularly when you're doing something that's set in like a Victorian gothic kind of era uh putting on those clothes and looking like you do and so that they are very uh you know they are what the time was which was sort of you know tight and oppressive and uh it, and that's sort of how you feel in it and, and there's a sort of stiffness to it which i think is is sort of certainly something i associate with uh english people during that period and um yeah so i, th I think all that 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 doesn't for whenever you can i mean and particularly with the uh, the, the the set as you mentioned like so much of that was all one practical set so 
we could do like long scenes that ran from one room down a corridor up some stairs and into another room because it was all there and yeah we also and we got to we we also destroyed a very nice couple's garden in I think Peterborough <laughs> uh, which was the garden I think they had won I genuinely I this might be my memory exaggerating this but I think they had like because it was a beautiful old house and and the, the the front of it the inside was a studio but the front of it was 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 a real house and outside the garden they had like, I think won some sort of you know local lawn prize and then we came <laughs> in and we're like cool we are going to just put torn up gravestones and weeds and just make it look uh, like hell. Uh, but I, I think they got it back. I'm sure that's part of the deal. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been in a few ghost stories like this one, and you even narrated one, uh, Fear of Hugh. Have you yourself had any experience with ghosts or filmed at a haunted location where you felt a spirit might be there? I have to say I'm pretty, you know, I'm, I'm fairly agnostic on everything. I, I never say that I know something. I have never, uh, I'm not like a strong believer in favor of ghosts just because I've never, I haven't experienced one myself, but just because I haven't experienced it doesn't mean that's not uh, happening. But, um, but yeah, I, so for myself, no, I've never had, I, I've often been in theaters or stuff where, that, where often people are like, oh, this theater's haunted. And I'm like, okay. But I don't know if I'm going to actually see that. But OK, I believe you. Um, yeah. So I, I, I have I have very uh, sorry. Yeah, that's a very disappointing answer. But I, I, <laughs> no, it's, no awesome. yeah. it's great. 2013's award winning horns. There's it's such a brilliant film. There's this great modern day fable fairy tale uh, crossing between genres. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's tragic moving, uh, dark, intense, and violent. Talk about working with Alexander Aja, and uh, what did you learn from his direction? I mean, honestly, Alex is, I, I, I say this, I say this way too much. I sound so to the point where it sounds like I don't mean it, but I, he really is. He's one of my favorite directors I've ever worked with. Like he's, I feel like every day you would come to set and just see him turn you know, there are some extraordinary like set piece kind of scenes in Horns, like, you know, the scene where I, uh, you know, force my brother to take all the drugs and he has that crazy, like hallucinatory, horrible experience, which is like a very show PC kind of thing that a director is obviously going to like, of course, they're going to make that look extraordinary. But there's also just scenes where you would turn up and like, you know, the diner scene between me and Juno and just the way that were like, and this is also was our DP, Fred Elms was, you know, you get like reflections of reflections of these neon lights within the windows and the way like matching the color of Juno's hair. And it just like suddenly like looks so stunning. And like he finds a creative way into every scene and something and in a way that i find is like visually really cool but also not like uh, distracting and ostentatiously like why are you doing this unnecessary one shot or it's not that stuff it's like it's yeah it's uh yeah it's just he's constantly really inventive and also like you know a very very fun person to be directed by he he definitely like really pushed us all. I think he made an amazing movie. I love that film because it just doesn't, as you said, like it doesn't settle down. Like it, what it kind of refuses. It's funny and it like the first half particularly is like I find very very funny and it sort of you know it it has this just like yeah it, it sort of leaps between. I don't know. I don't think it like even leaps between genres particularly. I think it just like is a lot of things simultaneously, which is is one of the things that I get very excited about when I read stuff. Did I read something about you drinking antifreeze by accident on the set? 
You did. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 I did. Oh, it was no. really one of the... So I, um, I didn't realize that because we were in Canada, all the trailers uh, had like non-potable uh, water in it. And most trailers, and I, I went around and checked after I found out that this was what happened. Most of the trailers had like a big sign in them that said, do not drink this water. And I I did go back and check and for whatever reason, mine didn't have one of those signs. So anyway, I, I didn't know that at the time. So I just like suddenly on set one day, I got very ill had to lie down, uh, had to go back to the trailer and was sort of started being ill. I still had all the horns on and stuff and all the prosthetics at this point. So it was like, I, they did, I didn't want to take them off at the moment because I didn't know, like, maybe I'd be able to come back after lunch. He was what this was going to be. And then the doctor came in and he was completely unfazed by the fact that I had some very good prosthetic horns bursting out of my forehead. <laughs> and said that he had regularly seen, like, hey, he's like, I see weirder stuff than this on a Friday night. It was like, he was very, very funny about it and cool. But he didn't know what was wrong with me. We didn't know what had happened because, like, you know, they said, have you, you know, drunk anything today or eaten anything? And I was like, yeah, I had some water. I, I would never have reported it as, like, because I didn't know. And then it was like a very, very rough three days, uh, which was at that point very early on in my, my, my girlfriend and I's relationship. And she had come to visit me and was just like nursing me in the bathroom for like three days. And, um, and then I, uh, yeah, did like sort of came around and got better. And then like a week after that, I was in hair and makeup and I went to pour a glass of water out of the tap. And somebody just went, whoa, what are you doing? That's that you can't drink that. It's got antifreeze in it. And I was like, ah. That was it. That was what I did. I drank antifreeze. So yeah, but you know, it was uh, it was nice to you know it gave you a real appreciation for for not drinking antifreeze. The rest of <laughs> I guess you have to experience it once to yeah. know. <laughs> See how great of a movie Horns turned out. Was there ever any talk in returning to that role in a sequel? I don't know if it would be that role. I but like I do. I will say that like I love. You know, I, I loved working with Joe Hill on that story and I love working with Alex Azure. If there was ever another project that like I don't I just don't know, like instinctively, like they're both cleverer men than me. So if they can figure out how you then, you know, carry that story on, then great. But I uh, yeah, I would I would definitely like to work with both those people again because they're, they're awesome and incredibly creative. I know that you kept the amazing jacket from Horns. Um, yeah. The Harry Potter series has some unbelievably beautiful props, costumes, and set pieces. Did you keep anything from Potter or any of your other films? Yeah, not really for Harry, though. I was mainly in zip tops towards the end. Like, it was, I didn't have, like, I, I there was, there was some, um, I guess the Quidditch stuff is very cool. Like, I did feel very, that, very cool in that as a kid. And the school uniform, I, I, I we sort of, we were only in them for like the first three or four years, maybe, uh, or, or only in them like that much for that time. But then the one thing I will say is that, like, obviously there were like incredible costumes for other people. I'm sure people stole stuff. They definitely should have. Actually, they're probably not. They're probably in museums um, <laughs> the, um, i did i did get away with um two pairs of the glasses so i've got a pair from the first film and a pair from the last film so you can sort of see uh how my head grew in between oh that's um, cool there are yeah so they're, but they're not like yeah they're in a they're in a safe somewhere i don't i don't want to risk just like sitting on them one day 2015's award-winning Victor Frankenstein, you created a really cool new version of Igor, the scholar, really, opposite the wonderful James McAvoy. And you delivered a really unique physical performance. I was wondering if you could just talk about developing those attributes that you brought to Igor. Yeah, so uh, that was... um 
I, I really enjoy uh, sort of a, a part that has some kind of uh, physicality or some sort of like weird physical challenge that I have to get into. And sort of, I liked the idea of like showing this, you know, having to sort of show this journey from somebody who is described as just like, you know, a hunchback and sort of, which is a very, which is actually like a very vague description and could go a number of ways and like showing, trying to find like some sort of real feeling version of that and then graduating it into somebody who is like forced to walk upright and then can, you know, that was, it was, yeah, it was an incredibly sort of fun thing to do. I worked with, um, uh, a couple I worked with a movement coach who was lovely and I also worked with um, for the because that character exists in a circus at the beginning I worked with a, a wonderful uh, clowning teacher called Mitch Mitchelson I recently got to work with him again I was just doing a play in London uh, Endgame which uh, you mentioned very kindly and um, so yeah I was I was doing that and he I got to work with Mitch again to do lots of like ladder falls and and learning how to yeah learning how to fall on uh, an A-frame ladder which is which is very fun <laughs> Oh, man. Well, some of that physicality actually continues into Kimmy versus Eleven, which we'll talk about now. So it's another imaginative project that reinvents rules. And so much of that has been traditionally in the writing of that show and these characters created by Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, resulting in really thrilling, unpredictable stories and a dialogue. And it's elevated even more in that direction with this new interactive technology. How did the writing inspire your choices as Prince Frederick, a.k.a. the Scooch? Um, I mean, that's the thing. You really, it's one of those shows where I mean, T- Tina and Robert and, and, and uh, Meredith and Sam, the other writers of the special, they, they're, the writing is just amazing. Like you really, as an actor, just have to like, you know, work out what the character is and, and then say the words because they, they're just brilliant jokes. And, 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 you know, watching the show is the kind of show that I love because it's it is just like tightly wound plots but also like a joke every 10 seconds and that joke might be uh, you know a very you know something very silly and ridiculous and brilliant or just a reference that two people will understand and they the sort of the, the latitude they give themselves to make jokes about anything and they kind of have invent they have created a world with enough character does that touch as many worlds as they do that you can kind of get a joke about anything and it be justified and it's it's sort of uh, as as an actor to like walk into this very established place with uh, which kind of has no rules and where you, you, the most insane line can feel real and like a part of that world is just is so much fun i mean you know there was one line where i think frederick says really early on my they're talking about their fathers like not being there and i say that my father died during childbirth i think no, <laughs> yeah, it, was some, it was something like that and, and i don't know if i'm wording that. i'm probably not doing it justice it was just a joy to 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 read and and then get to be a part of it it was very intimidating honestly like walking into this group of very established like friends but also just like brilliant funny people and and uh but yeah, thankfully, Tina and Robert and, and Sam and Meredith had written me this amazing character. So it was it was very easy to sort of just join in. Well, talking about that cast and being, you know, working with Carol Kane, which you have some great, oh, great gosh. things. She's amazing. And your robot dancing yeah, and awkward yeah. makeout <laughs> sessions that you have. What, what do you think was the most fun? Uh, I mean, like the whole day I spent with... Carol in the hotel room yeah. throwing plates at me and firing a gun into the ceiling and like acting out various girlfriends yeah. was 
a day that I genuinely will treasure for the rest of my life. Like she, she is, she, I, you know, you, when, when, when you start on the show, you hear people talking about Carol and with this sort of, this just, I don't know, just this incredible love. And then like you meet her and you go like, Oh yeah, this is why you're an incredibly special person. And you just are like somebody that it's, that makes life like, yeah, fun. And yeah, she's, she, she was uh, like a, a real like joy to, to work with. Just quickly, what's next for you once everything's over with this pandemic and everybody goes back to work? What's uh, what's in the tank? Well, that is a that is a great question. I am, uh, you know, there's there are projects that I'm I'm attached to that, uh, you know, were in theory going to be going, you know, sometime later this year. I think right now the the goal is for everyone to just like keep kind of acting as if something will happen that will allow us to do that. And we sort of have to work towards it as if, you know, it will be possible. But I think everyone's also aware that we're kind of, we're kind of just in a holding pattern of some sort and we'll, you know, it so much will be dependent on, you know, I've read, I've obviously seen like a couple of the plans that producers and people have put out to say like, this is how we might consider reopening filming. And I think it obviously like, it's very good that people are trying to think of solutions, but it's also, I, it's, it just seems really hard to, you know, if you basically the, the only, you know, if you have the only things I can see that working really well with is if you have a small enough crew that you can quarantine everyone together and sort of keep tabs on it fairly easily but crews that small i can't imagine having the amount of money necessary to do all the proper testing and also like investing that as well as making the film that they were going to make so it's yeah it's it's really it's really hard and i don't know how how um, how it will resolve itself but you know one day we'll get to make things again and until then i guess we all just have to start writing our zoom scripts (laughs) (laughs) and and exploring all the different options that uh, unbreakable kimmy schmidt will (laughs) go through all the storylines that's a better idea (laughs) well daniel thank you again so much for taking the time with us we really appreciate it no worries thank you so much guys this was really really fun thank you Uh, yeah that was great have a great day and now a little extra bonus just prior to getting this extended interview with daniel we also attended the remote kimmy schmidt press conference where we got five minutes with dan when we talk a bit more about the show and some horror stuff thrown in all right dan we know and love unbreakable kimmy schmidt 18 emmy award nominations multiple awards from the writers guild and one of netflix's first original comedy hits it has returned for this incredibly fun special we are so delighted to see you on board where does this adventure begin in her storyline and how does the way this particular story is presented add a whole new experience so the story of the Kimmy special begins with Kimmy uh, sort of finding a, a book in her backpack, which in itself is a, a pick your own journey book, I believe we call it. And that then leads her to believe that because this book didn't belong to her or any of the other girls that um, she was in the bunker with, uh, then there was possibly other girls and more people out there that possibly are still in that situation. So she kind of goes off on that adventure. At the same time, many uh, a few years have passed since the sort of the last time we saw them, and Kimmy is engaged to me, who uh, I am Prince Frederick, who's I think like twelfth in line to the English throne, some sort of very, very sort of fairly distant monarch. He is sort of oblivious and quite idiotic, hopefully not in an entirely hateful way. But um, <laughs> as Kimmy goes off to sort of find, figure out what's happened with this uh, potential remaining girl and settle scores with the Reverend, I 
get sort of tested by some of Kimmy's friends as to whether I am truly good enough to marry her. That is the first time I have summed up the story in any interview. So I'm sorry you're getting the first version of that. Other people will probably get it better. So that's the gist of it. And then because of the, the, the sort of the pick your own journey, nature of the way that it's been filmed, you know, you as the viewer will be able to make choices about whether I think the, the whole thing starts with whether Kimmy is going to wear the fun dress or the fancy dress for her wedding. And you sort of start with that choice. And so no, then, you know, that choice will spawn you down one road and then that will fork off and take, you know, so it's sort of, there are so many ways that you can play through this story. It's the kind of thing that I, when I think about how people have to try and write it, I just want to cry. I just, I don't know how you could write this, how you could edit it, how you could be the script supervisor for it. It's it's a real kind of amazing uh, Rubik's Cube of storytelling. And it's very, very, yeah, it was very fun to be a part of because I did not have to really do any of that. And we welcome you to the fold as this absolutely hilarious new character, the Scooch. How did you become involved <laughs> in the project? I was filming in, in Australia and I got, a, you know, I, I, I got an email from, from uh, Robert Carlock and Tina Fey talking to me about what they were doing and uh, what they wanted for this character to be and what they were planning with the show in general in terms of the picture own journey thing. I've been a huge fan of Tina Fey's for years. I was a huge fan of 30 Rock. Uh, I mean, you know, I did still read the script, but I want, it was one of the few times in my life I wanted to say yes without reading anything just because I was like, I was so excited to, to get to work with her and everyone in the show. So yeah, it was very, it was very intimidating, honestly, to join such a brilliant group of people who have been together for so long and come into that. But thankfully, they were just, you know, they were all incredibly kind and welcoming. I mean, Ellie is, um, I don't know if you've had the pleasure of interviewing her, I'm sure you have, but she's like the loveliest human being and, and they all are really. So I, it was, I had a fantastic time. We are a horror podcast, so we have to ask you one or two uh, horror genre questions. So you're such a gifted comedic performer as showcased in this and the phenomenal miracle workers. Are there things that are similar in terms of the mechanics of creating a moment for an audience to laugh versus delivering scares? I mean, I think so in the sense that like everything is about timing to some extent. I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know. I've been fortunate enough to work with some, a couple of like really great horror directors or, and, or directors who have happened to make horror movies like um, James Watkins and, and Alexander Azure. But I have to say that for me still always feels like some weird alchemy they do that I can't quite put my finger on in terms of like, building suspense and make it like I, I don't know if it like it almost seems scientific the way people can approach it in terms of like how to deliver those scares and things but I I honestly don't know that I have the technical kind of vocabulary to talk about it in, a, in an interesting way that was the Boo Crew Podcast episode 130 special thanks to our guest Daniel Radcliffe be sure to experience Dan in the hilarious interactive TV special Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt Kimmy versus the Reverend and check out Dan's incredible work in the horror genre including Alex Aja's Phenomenal Horns James Watkins Woman in Black 2015's Victor Frankenstein and uh, all the Harry Potter movies you can shake a stick at if you like this conversation be sure to check out episode 56 with Alex Aja 
episode 62 with Samara Weaving, and episode 12 with Dan Fogler from Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Also, please rate us and write us a review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoy what you are hearing. We appreciate that so much. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew, for horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy, for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.